Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for your giving. May God bless that giving. And we are right here and ready for an exciting, exciting time. Everybody should get excited from this. So whatever you're doing, chill out. Get your note-taking apparatus ready. Get your Bible ready. I'm old school. You know, we used to actually use Bibles. Um, We used to actually use Bibles. Hold on one moment. Let me grab something real quick. to go into the word there is a word from the Lord from you today and uh, I think this is a great time a great season for the conversation that we're going to have today and, um, I think the conversation that we're going to have today is very important so please focus in and really just open your hearts to receive I want to start off by praying because I want us to be in a posture to receive and I want us to be in a place where we are ready to receive. And so uh, just to focus our minds and to focus our hearts real quick, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for who you've called us to be in this space right now. We thank you for the revelation of who you are. And we thank you for how that revelation opens our hearts to see who we are. And we thank you because it is without seeing that we are not able to operate in the realm that you have called us to operate in. We understand that your son said everything that I do. I do because I see my father do it. And so God, we have walked this life as many years as we've been here trying to understand what that reality even looks like. God, right now, our prayer is that you open our hearts to receive, that we actually are able to tap in to see, to see you for who you are, to see us for who we are. And we submit to you in every way, shape, and form. Thank you for speaking to us and through us. Thank you for being a good God. Let us be transparent so that every word that comes forth shines your glory. Hallelujah. And 
we're going to receive from you and we're going to understand and we thank you for it today forever in Jesus name amen 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 so we're going to jump right into a conversation that's necessary and needed and so stick with me here I'm going to try to slow walk this. I'm not going to rush it. You know, we'll still be out at a good time. But uh, we're going to lay some groundwork for this conversation. And the conversation that we have in the day is going to be a simple conversation. The conversation is going to be something that it would appear that we all should know a lot about. You know, we, we're gathered together. We're in church or in our homes attending you know, through the web. But in either, any, rate, any rate, by any, any means, we, we can see that salvation should be a topic <clears throat> that we all feel confident and comfortable with. The funny thing is, is if we are honest with ourselves, we have to admit the fact that we're really not as comfortable. We really don't hold a strong understanding of what that term really means. So today, we're gonna to start on a conversation that should be continuous, but it's for our super saints all the way down to what we used to call in old school, our babes in Christ. To even those of us who are non-believers, who might've been encouraged, thank you, who might've been encouraged to watch this today, just because somebody might've told you, hey, check out Strong City Church online, thank you for checking us out, by the way. All right. We're going to get right into it, though. And so today's message, today's subject is going to be what it's going to be, excuse me, true salvation. True salvation. And so I'm convinced that this conversation needs to happen because we don't have a good picture a good image of what true salvation really means. So I, I wanted to begin by asking a question, and this question is for everybody, and don't feel guilty if you don't really understand or know, but I like to ask that question, what is salvation? What is salvation? So let's get some, some feedback on this. And anybody in here can holler out, if you're on, you can, you, can, you can put it in the chat. What is, or if you could feel like you could define salvation, what is salvation? Anybody? Being saved. Okay. Could you elaborate on that, being saved? Saved from sin. That's a good definition, strong definition. What's something else that salvation may mean? Does everybody kind of agree with that meaning, that definition? Is that pretty much accurate where you would be with that? I'm getting a lot of head nods here. What about you out there? Is that what it looks like? Is that, is that saved from sin? And, you know, the thing that I love about this is because it's normally the thing that comes top of mind to us. Um, and if we are in church, if we've kind of grew up in church or had a connection to church as we grew, 
We've heard this down through the years. Salvation is being saved from sin. And so the great thing about understanding that we are <clears throat> saved from sin, when you may have asked grandparents or the preacher to elaborate or expound on what that looked like or what that was, we might have got a lot of different answers. Doesn't necessarily mean that those answers was wrong. But I'm here today to submit to you that that's not a complete or a total definition when we look at the word salvation, even in itself being saved from sin. What would we say saved from sin would be if we were to break this down? What, what does saved mean, be saved from sin? Rescued, like that. Rescued. Yes, I like rescue. What's something else? Uh, uh, protected. Oh, I like that too. Oh, out of the mouth of babes. Oh, I like that, man. Protected. All right. Any other thoughts? Dominion over, being ruled by. No. Rule. Oh, I love these definitions. This is beautiful. So being saved, being rescued, being protected, eliminating the rule, the ability to be ruled by. Okay, that's awesome. That's wonderful. Now, here's the kicker. What is sin? I can't hear you. Sin is something God said what? It's, it's something that God saved us from. That's, that's definitely accurate. It's something that God saved us from. But if we had to define what it was that sin is, evil doing, hey. And I love the fact that you said doing. That's going to be important. Evil doing. Sin is evil doing. What else is sin? Going against the word of God. So let's see, what, what would we say? Against God? So anti-Christ or anti-God? Okay, against God? All right, good, 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 good. So we're getting a good foundation of what this old school saying salvation really is. And just in the conversation that we're having now for a few seconds, we're elaborating on some of the things. And it's starting us to work our mind to actually think, what is salvation? You know, we take so many things for just face value that now the conversation, salvation is me getting you in front of people, quoting a scripture to you, and having you repeat after me. And now, when you leave and go sit down, you're saved. Heaven and earth rejoice. And we tell everybody to clap. And in some churches at that point, you get the right hand of what? Fellowship. So we're going to shake you in. You're here now. You're accepted into our group. So the funny thing about this is salvation means different things to different people. But what does it mean to God? And what was the purpose of salvation? And so a lot of times we don't 
ask that question in our own hearts because we think that we have a simple understanding. Even we have children that will respond to this and say, hey, salvation is this, which is good. But this is a spiritual truth that we're trying to understand in a worldly mentality, which limits the fullness of what being saved really looks like. So our conversation today is true salvation because it's my understanding that salvation is what's really needed. And if this is the pivotal point of the entire scripture, if you look throughout scripture, salvation, you will find salvation starting in Genesis and you can walk it all the way through to Revelation. The entire book is around the conversation of salvation. With that being such an important topic that is continually reviewed, why is it not reviewed with us? Why do we not daily think on the fullness of salvation? And so, none of these definitions are wrong, by the way. All of this is beautiful, beautiful stuff. Every bit of that. But this still, I don't care if we filled this board up. It still wouldn't encompass all that salvation actually has within it. And it still wouldn't help us to understand the reason for it. And so my question is. We all want it. Some of us say we have it. We possess it. It is ours. It belongs to us. But why? Why salvation? In God's understanding of heaven and earth, why is salvation a necessary component? Why? Heard that. Because of the fall. Why do we need salvation? So the only reason that we need salvation is because there was something that went before us that separated us from God. It threw things off balance. Now, if you are a strong city church follower, if you have been here, then you know that we did a whole series on kingdom and we beat this verse, we beat these verses of scripture in your head. If right now, if you, there's nothing else that you should be able to quote, it should be Genesis 1. 26, we should be able to look at that and understand about the creation and God creating everything and then creating man, okay? And the reason why we go to 26 is because 1 through 25 is him creating everything, him locking everything in and creating the entire world. I'm going to slow it down because I want us to understand why salvation, the importance here is to understand what are we being saved from? What are we being saved from? What are we being saved from? Everybody knows salvation is good. Child knows. We knew it as children. What did you get raised up here? You need to get saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. Everybody, hey, you need to get saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. God loves you. You need to get saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. But what does that mean? What does salvation mean? We walk around. We're supposed to be the representatives, the witnesses of God, right? We're supposed to be able to express what God wants the world to do. And we talk salvation, supposedly, in our witness. 
Why do we witness? We witness because we want to get people saved. What's the point? It's hard to pull somebody into what you're about when you haven't yet explored what you're about. Why is salvation a good thing? How can you encourage somebody else to take a bite of something that you've never eaten? How can you? The whole point of being a witness is to have an actual account or experience of something personally that you can share with someone else. And so I'm not bashing you. Please don't hear this in legalism. Hear this in grace. God wants to shift your understanding and let you understand the benefit package of what you actually have, possess. What belongs to you? What are you claiming? Because if there is a claim to salvation, salvation has some components within it that needs to be realized in my everyday walk. Now, I know where you're going. Some of you don't turn it off before. I promise you before, as I continue to explain this, you'll understand this isn't about legal matters. If you're not saved, you're in good company. Stand by. This is not to bash you for not being saved. Because I submit to you that the truth of the matter is, is that many of us who claim and conversate about this thing called salvation, we're not walking in the fullness of what that really looks like. And this, again, is not a bash. This is grace. Please hear me with all grace and love because this is not God getting on us for it. It's God opening us up to it so that we can access the fullness of what that looks like. And it takes the work out of witness. Wouldn't it be grand to draw people without work? Wouldn't it be awesome to have and possess something that is God-given and let that be a light that men see? And come to seek who put that light in you. Would to God that we would be clear. Just completely clear vessels. Where God's light could shine through. And impact change to everything around it. Would to God that we were light that would be raised on a hill so that all of the world could see and thereby be able to understand how to track to God. Would to God that we would be the salt to save, preserve, protect, rescue. Break down dominion of evil so that others could express the fullness of what God is. So why salvation? I want you to understand something, and I'll talk a little bit, and then we're going to get into some scriptures. God's intention, a heaven intention. This is what I mean by that. Let me, let me, let me make sure I clarify that for you. His reason for creating men in the earth was not just to get them back to heaven. 
If God only wanted spiritual beings, he would have just kept us as spiritual beings. If God didn't want us on the planet, he wouldn't have created a problem so he could create a solution just to get us back to him. When you hear the conversation of salvation in our culture and in our society, you hear it from a standpoint of world philosophy. The world philosophy on religion is only for right doing now to be able to afford paradise in the future. Any religion that you follow, it is going to be for you to follow a set of rules now that will provide you access into a future kingdom. It is an afterlife thing. It is when I die. Every religion. It doesn't matter if you want to be reincarnated. Either way, your whole point is I have to do well in this life so that when I'm in my future life reincarnated, I won't come back as something that should be uh, looked down upon or, or, or hurt or something like this. Why? Because the process in the thought process of the world is that I have to earn my right for paradise. The reason why I'm clarifying that this is the world's philosophy is because we don't talk about it in the church enough. And many of us don't remove that philosophy when we come to God. So instead of being recreated mentally, instead of becoming a new creature mentally, we take our old way of thinking and we put God on top of it. And so now we use salvation in Jesus in the same context as someone else used Buddha. And if we do the same thing, then what's the difference? Then it just becomes a religion. So we have a mind that says I am here on this planet and I need to do things in a certain way to earn a reward in paradise. I want you to understand something and don't go, you can go there later. Go to Matthew later and take a look in Matthew. Look in the sixth chapter and Jesus is having a conversation and he says, don't think as the Gentiles think. Why, Jesus, do you not want humans to think like the Gentiles think? The Gentiles were people who did not have a God. They had a thought process of multiple gods. Their way of doing things was to appease those gods to earn favor for a future paradise. And so Jesus was attacking not the actions of those that he was speaking to, but the thought process of those that he was speaking to. And he said, you need to elevate your thoughts. So what I say to you is, seek ye first the kingdom. And then he used a term called righteousness, which simply means right standing and connection to God. 
has nothing to do with works. And he said, seek that, and you will then see how everything else comes into where you are. The funny thing was, he said, don't go striving after it. Let it come striving after you. Because if you get your elevated thinking in the place, you realize the reason that everything else was created. Go back to Genesis. Let's think on the thought. God's creation. God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form, void, darkness dwelled upon the face of the deep. One of the favorite scriptures that I have is at the end of this when he says, after he created everything, and then it says he created the host of them. The beautiful thing about God is God always prepares something for something else. And so here we have God creating the heavens and the earth for the sole purpose of what he decided to put within it. The apex of his creation is us. So when we say why salvation, we need to understand God's mind in the creation aspect of why we're here. Most of us don't understand this, but let's talk about it a little bit. We were in God's mind. We were in spirit form in God's mind before we were. That's the truth here on the planet. Okay. That's the truth. We were with him, but we weren't present in, in the earth yet. I go back to this because the discussion needs to understand why salvation, why would God create us, form us, shape us, just for us to enjoy him after we die? What kind of God creates you, separates you from himself, puts you in a place by yourself, and says, I know I'm good, but after you go through that stuff down there, after you prove yourself, after you live a certain way, I'll bring you back to me. I'll bring you back home. Can you imagine, can you imagine having a child, creating a child and then putting them in the earth, pushing them out of the house and shutting the door and saying, once you lived a little bit, then you can come on back. Experience life, figure out things for yourself. How you going to eat? Ah, figure it out. What clothes you got, figure it out. Education, you better figure that out. But after you do a good job, come on back. Matter of fact, let me throw you out a manual. There you go. Figure that thing out. Come back to me later. We'll talk. Even us being evil wouldn't do that to our own children. How much more? Would a God of creation create us to exile us? So what broke 
the connection that we had in, in God. Well, most of us who know the Bible story, we know that the connection broke when sin entered. And when, when did sin enter? There was a disobedient act that occurred. And I'll, I'll skip over Sister Eve and I'll go straight to Adam because that's whenever everything actually went down. Sin ate nothing. Adam ate everything. Went crazy. Fell. Fell. Everyone, everything fell. And immediately the Bible says what happened is Adam now in his conscience determined that he was naked and fear came upon him, and he separated himself from God. Not God separating himself from him, but he separated himself from God. He ran, hid in some fig leaves to hide himself from God. God came seeking out Adam. Where are you? Adam's hiding because of the fear of sin. The separation occurred. All right. This occurred before we were born. So that's where the separation had happened. That's the reason for salvation. Salvation is here because there was a separation. But when we say that we're saved now, what does that mean about the separation? If, we're, if we've been saved from the sin, then the separation is no more. That means that we've been redeemed to God. We've been what Matthew says is righteous. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. What does that mean? His mentality. What was God thinking when he created us? He never created us to be separated from us. He created us to enjoy. Tristan, pull up Genesis 1.26 for me, doc. Let's walk this down just a little bit. All right? So here's God. And God said, let us make man... In our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. Here is the reason why we were created. Herein is the reason why we were created. We were created to be reflections of God, and we were created to have dominion just like God. Point blank, period. Why am I in the earth? This is the reason why you're in the earth. You're in the earth to be a reflection of God. And you're in the earth to have dominion over everything that he created. All of the earth is at your disposal. Why? Because he created it for you. He never would create something that he didn't intend for you to enjoy. He would never create something that he intended that he didn't intend you to have power over. He never would create something that he would intend you to have to run from. He would never create something that had an overwhelming power over you. Instead, he created something that you could have an overwhelming power over. 
He created something that you could utilize as tools and resources. He created something that dominion comes in. Dominion, domination, being over. What is kingdom? That is where the king has dominance or has domain. And so when we say we want the kingdom of God and earth, all that means is we want the reality of heaven to be the reality that we have here on earth because God's creation and reason for getting us out here in the first place was for salvation to be the mirror, the reflection, to be the image bearer of God. For, for us to have a kingdom just as he has a kingdom and just as he is king of kings and lord of lords that we are able to walk around and have that type of dominion and rule. The great thing about God is the only thing that he did not give us access to rule was each other because we were all created in his image and in his likeness. But the fact of the matter is, is if, if we feel overwhelmed by the world, if we feel overwhelmed by poverty, if we feel overwhelmed by not having enough, we have to understand that those things were never supposed to have reign over us. That only occurred when we were separate from our creator. So why salvation? The easy answer is to reinstitute, to reposition, to get us back to our original form and context. So when we say I'm saved, what we're actually saying is I am what God is in the earth. That's blasphemy. Isn't that what they said about Jesus? That's blasphemy. How dare you call yourself God? But that's what salvation actually means. It means that I am the reflection. I am in pure connection. There is no, there is no dissemination. There's no separation between the God that created me and myself. I am the perfect reflection and image bearer of him in the earth. So then, if we say why, why salvation, that's the why. But now what does that do? That has to produce something. There has to be something that comes off of that. I want to show you why God has been, how long God has been talking about this conversation. Uh, Tristan, go to, go to Romans 8. This is going to be the foundation of the conversation and what we're talking about. So I want you to understand that this is a God conversation and it's been going on for a long time. And so uh, Romans 8.22 says, for we know that the whole creation, the whole creation, the heavens and the earth, the whole creation the animals, the land, the water, and all of the host therein. The whole creation, what do they do? They groaneth 
and travaileth. I like the King Jimmy version because it gives you an understanding of the pain of it. They groaneth and travaileth. The word travail is another word that is used with childbirth. It is an intense agony and a continuous pressure. When you travail with something, it's not just over really quickly. It is a constant churning to try to remove that situation. All of creation is doing this in pain together until now. Now, when is now? Now. What's the Greek word for now? Now. What's the Hebrew for now? Now, that means that when this was written, the now was then. So if the now was then, the now is now. Come on now, it don't take a Bible scholar to get that. If the now was then, then the now is also now. This conversation has been ongoing this entire time. But what has to happen? Go to the next verse. And not only they, but ourselves also. Who is he talking to, first of all? He's talking to believers who are saved. He said, guess what? The whole creation isn't just doing this by themselves. It would be sweet if we could just say, well, you know, we the church. We got it together. You know what? I'm saved. I ain't got no problems. I'm good, baby. No, he said, not just them, but ourselves also. What are we doing? We, look, we have the first fruit ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our bodies. Now, let me break this down because this is King Jimmy and it can mess people up. All right, let's see here. All right. So, within ourselves we groan, we accept and say that we have the salvation church folk, right? But we're waiting for an adoption to wit. We're not waiting for the adoption to happen. We're waiting for the adoption to be realized. That word to wit means acknowledge, understand, have it revealed to you. That means when we walked around saying that we were saved, it's good. We were saved. We got the first fruit of the spirit, right? We feel better. We're happy. We're encouraged. We want to do the right thing. Just something inside of us kind of pushes us towards those things. Like, man, you know what? I don't want to do that stuff no more. I'm good. I want to live. There's a groaning inside of us though, right? I want to live and I want life abundantly. You know, I don't feel like I should be sick. I don't feel like I should be poor. I don't feel like these things should be okay. I feel like I should have a good, healthy relationship. I don't feel like my relationship should be dragged and, and jagged. I feel like everything should go in a good way. What is that? That's, this is, these are all first fruits. Okay? But there's a to wit. There's a to wit that has to occur. There is an understanding that has to occur of an adoption that's taking place. The adoption is what we talked about from the beginning. We were created in the image and likeness of God. We were created as sons and daughters. And now we're brought back into that through salvation. Now we understand that we are adopted back into the family. 
we are reconnected to our actual parents. We are now sons and daughters of God. And because of that, there is a redeeming quality that impacts even our body. Verse 23. It doesn't just impact my thoughts. It doesn't just impact what I want to happen. It doesn't just, you know, it's not just something for me to carry and to say, you know what, when, when, in the future, when I get to heaven, I'll be able to understand this adoption thing better. It actually impacts my earthly body right now. As we go through this teaching, I want to challenge our thoughts about what we allow to separate us from God. Because there is pieces of this adoption that we are not accessing because we don't think that it is related to us because we're still carrying a worldly mentality of a previous father. And in Ephesians, it says that we walked in that wisdom with the father of the world, which is the devil. The discord of our mind, we thought in a way as if we were sons to him, but instead we're really sons of God. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, again to fear, but instead he's given us the spirit of adoption, wherefore we cry, Abba, Father, beloved Father, intimate Father, connected Father, you and I are one. And because of that, it impacts everything that it touches. Can you tell me of a time where our older brother Jesus was sick? Can you tell me of a time where our older brother Jesus was poor? Can you tell me about the broken relationships in our big brother's life? Can you tell me about a time that he didn't have protection, provision? There's only one time that any of this will come to mind in honest and true communication about Jesus. And it was him on the cross whenever he said, God, you have forsaken me. But the prophecy said he had to endure it, not for himself, but for us. He had the power to lay it down and pick it back up again. There is not a time that you'd find in his years on the planet that he suffered from any of these things until he himself decided to sacrifice it in order for us to have access to it. Go on, Tristan, next verse. For we are saved by hope. <laughs> but hope that is seen is not hope. 
He's saying the first part of our salvation is here. It's in hope. Hope is an imagination of good. That's what hope is. Hope is, a, a, is an imagination of good. If you have any imagination that is connected to God and is connected to good, that is what hope is. All right? It's a picture or an image of good that you have, and it causes you joy and encouragement and happiness to kind of come along and say hope. You, you normally kind of attribute joy and encouragement and happiness to kind of come along with it. But it, it, it's only a product. Those are only products of the actual image. So we're saved by hope. All right? So it's talking about the heart now. But hope that is seen is not hope. So it's saying you can't see it with your eyes. You have to see it with your heart. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? Next. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's, that's where we stop. Okay. I'll leave it there, Tristan. It's good. Good, good. All right. So what it's basically saying is, is that there is a transference that has to come. If we continue on and continue to read in 25 through 31, we'll see a little more about it. But for the purposes of where we are right now, I want to stop right there. All right. Now. <laughs> Let's have this conversation. Let's continue in this conversation. All right. So let's go back to salvation. We already know the why. Right? We're saved because he created us to reign. And in order to have us in our right standings, after the mishap in the garden, he had to deliver, protect, he had to restore he had to pull us back to himself, to reconnect us to him. All right? Salvation is the key for that. We just learned how do we get, how, how are we saved? We're saved by hope. So that means that I believe now, I have an imagination. What am I hoping in? I'm hoping in word. I'm hoping in what God promised. I'm hoping in Jesus. Why am I hoping in Jesus? Because Jesus is my redemption. And in order for me to accept salvation, I have to accept it on the premise of what he did and not what I do. So hope then is not an action word for you. It was something that was carried out for you that provides you access to something else. That's where salvation is birthed from. We are saved by hope. Ephesians says it this way. It says we are saved by grace and that it is the gift of God. And it, and it says that it is not by works that any man can boast. It means that the thought process of the world says I have to earn my salvation or paradise. But the idea of God is it is not based off of your works to get you to paradise. It means that it's not in how good you live that grants you access. I'm messing with somebody's religion right now. I'm going to stay right there. It means that it doesn't matter how many I's you dot, how many T's you cross. That is not the reason for paradise. That's not the reason for good to come to you. In fact, the only reason for good to come to you is what Jesus did. Why? What do you mean, Pastor? 
Are you serious? Well, let's look at the history books. Adam, without your permission, decided to create a world for you that was out of order. You had no part in it. Did you and Adam have a conversation before he ate that fruit? If you did, I guarantee you would have said, Adam, bro, come on, man. Stop tripping. You heard what God said. Come on. Come on now. Forget Eve. You can get another one. God will make you another one, dog. It's a lot of dirt out here. You got another rib. We can work it out. You didn't have anything to do with Adam's sin. But it impacted you, did it not? (laughs) And in the same way, the second Adam who is Jesus, came and stood in the place in the stead of you and I. And he said, what Adam messed up, I will correct. And so just like you didn't work for Adam to do his crap, you didn't work for Jesus to do his good thing that he did. This means that salvation then becomes a gift It becomes something that was given to you freely. It becomes something that was prophesied for you and you have now accepted and have the reality of. You don't earn gifts. How many of us work for our birthday presents? You work for it, it ain't a gift then, dog. That means that they didn't give it to you. I'm, I'm I'm telling you, if you earned it, it wasn't a gift. A gift is unearned. So let's check it out. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. So now, why Jesus? Do you know that we call Jesus Jesus, but in that time, you might have heard this, especially our deep saints, Jesus' name was Yeshua, is what his name is. I want you to understand something about his name which is very important. And I'm going to give you this, and we're going to end here for today, but this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And I refuse to rush it. All right. Jesus was Yeshua HaMashiach, right? Yeshua was his name. All right, this is his name. This was Jesus the Christ. This is, this is his name, Yeshua. All right? Now, I want you to understand something. If you look this word up in Hebrew, this word means salvation. The word that I just had up there, And Jesus' name are the same. Hamashiach only means the anointed one. That means that it was applied to one to carry out 
the same thing that the one messed up. So Yeshua is actually salvation. Why salvation? Because salvation points back to Jesus. This is why the scripture says there's only one way. This is why the Bible says that you can only get to God through one passage. Does this put some legs on some of the thought processes that we've had going through the years? Because we heard the teachers of the Jesus only movement. We heard people say, Jesus, if you don't say it in the name of Jesus, you're missing it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But it's not so much about Jesus as it is about Yeshua, salvation. The name that I lifted above every name. Salvation. Why is it important that that be lifted above everything else? Because now through, that's, that's my access point. It is in him I live. In him I move. In him I have my being. You know, the funny thing about a name is, is this. The importance of the Bible, if you take a look at the Bible, the name of God seemed as a secret. And so from Genesis all the way to Malachi, you're not going to hear, you'll hear names of God, but you won't hear the name. It won't, a name won't be put to it. It'll just be God, and then there's different breakdowns of that, and you know, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah this, Jehovah that, right? And then, and then you'll, you'll hear, but names have a significance. Names have, have an importance. And anything that you want to understand, you have to understand it by the name. That's why names are so important to us. And I love what we do here. Pastor Jay and, and Pastor Ash will, will take the name of a child whenever they dedicate a child to God. And they'll break down the name. And then they'll provide a godly reason for that name because that can shape the future of that child. Because that's exactly what they did in the Bible days. If you don't believe that name change is real, then how did we get Abraham out of Abram? God instituted a change to get him in line with a future goal that he wanted to be able to have him do. Abram. Dad was, a, was a, a moon worshiper. He was not a worshiper of God. So in order to pull him in, he had to change his name. He had to give him a real assignment. He had to realign him or save him. So the name was significant to his salvation. Definitions of names are they're very meaningful. Sarah turned into Sarah. That name brought her youth and allowed a dead womb to be opened up because of the fact of the name meant pretty young thing. PYT for Michael Jackson. Come on, somebody. It was about the name. David, the name David means beloved. Here is a man after God's own heart so on. Jacob, his name was changed to Israel. He went from being a snatcher and a supplanter and a thief to being a prince of the kingdom. And his sons reigned. And if you go through all of his sons' names, they all have meanings. 
Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, their actual names mean and give reference to God. That's the reason why the Chaldean king was so happy to try to change that. Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change their name to give them a different purpose. So when we talk about names, the importance of God's name, why would he keep it such a secret? Moses, his friend, according to scripture, his servant came to him and said, who shall I say sent me? Can I get a name? And he said, I am. What did that mean? That meant fill in the blank. What did Israel need at the time? They needed deliverance. I am deliverance. They needed protection. I am protection. They needed salvation from evil oppression, from rule. I am. That means that God chose to embody in his name everything that we would need. So when we say Jesus or Yeshua, we are saying everything that God is, I am. That's what it means when I name the name of Jesus. When I say I am a Christian, Christian was a derogatory frame, but when I say that I am a, a Christian, I am actually accepting my name. That means that everything that God is, I am. This is gonna mess with your religion. But the fact of the matter is, is that Jesus said he did not think it robbery. The confidence level of Yeshua was such that he did not think it be robbery for him to be honored in that kind of way. Not because he sought honor, but because he recognized who he was. The issue that we have today as Christians and as and saying that we're saved is that we don't recognize all that comes with that. How much work would you have to do to witness, to feel somebody, to, to get somebody to follow you to church if you were the I am. If you were salvation. <laughs> I know I'm messing with you, but I want you to see that Jesus messed with us. What did he do to the, to the disciples whenever the people said they were hungry? He said, feed them. What was he saying? He said, you have the supply necessary to give whatever's needed. When you say I am saved, that means that I have an endless supply of whatever is needed in any situation. Jesus comes to a party that doesn't have wine. Who do they ask to produce it? Jesus. Because salvation has come. And since salvation has come, now since salvation has come, anything that you need, I am. <laughs> there was a woman who was crippled and who had gone to doctor after doctor. She was hunched over because she had an issue. And that issue of bleeding continued on. She was unclean. But when she touched just the hem of the I am. The Bible says that she was made whole. Whole is another word that is involved in salvation. I am now complete because I connected 
to the hem of his garment. A little girl lie dead, laying in a bed across town. The father runs out, says, come, my daughter is sick unto death. Jesus says, I am. Let's go. How many times are we called upon with this salvation thing and we actually know that we possess what it is that's needed for any given moment? Did Jesus say, hold on, let me pray? Did Jesus say, let me fast a little bit? Did Jesus say, could you give me a rundown of everything that's going on with this child? Jesus said, I am. So I know what y'all thinking, right? But that was Jesus. Pastor A.B., that's, that's encouraging. That sounds dope. But that was Jesus. See, Pastor A.B., what you're actually forgetting is that Jesus was without sin. What are you really saying? What you really don't understand is that that was God in the earth. There was no separation between him and God. So, of course, he could walk on water. Of course, he could heal the sick. Of course, he can raise the dead, bruh. He ain't did nothing wrong. He ain't got my past, bruh. But you're saved. And if you're saved... then you don't have a past either. If you're saved, all things have been created new. Did he say all things or some things? Did he say the things that I could, I could remember? Did he say, what, what about my childhood? If everything is created new, then why do I put such a huge gap between me and Jesus? Why do I say it's okay for Yeshua to have dominion, but it's not okay for Anthony to have dominion? Oh my God. So what does that mean? That means I got to get like him. So what are that? Now, now here, here I go in my earthly mentality. Here I go in my worldly thoughts. Because how, how do I do that? I submit to you that our training from a child has taught us how to earn and learn everything. And what we haven't had a great job of understanding is how to be and receive anything. Somebody said, I'm a human being. Well, why do you act like a human trying? If you're a human being, then you should just be. Why is everything I got to do? I got to earn. I got to try. I got to make it happen. 
We just came out of a wonderful series talking about go for it. The go for it was established off of who we are, not who you want to be. The fact of the matter is, is that hope is what got us saved, not our actions. And if hope got us saved, then the Yeshua is wherever we are. Would God be, would Jesus be a great leader if he empowered his people to do something that they couldn't do? Or if he instructed his people, I should say, to do something that they didn't have the power or the ability to do? Would I be a good leader to you if I told you to go out and do something that I didn't give you any, any power to do? If I told you to go out and start up my car, but I don't give you the keys? If I tell you, hey, go to buy me something, but I don't give you the money? Don't give you any instruction? Of course not. If he told us in the commission to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to feed those that were poor, to open blind eyes, to, to, that the lame will walk, that the deaf will hear, that the mute will speak. If that's something that he said is attached to the believer, why would he say that? Why would he also say, greater works shall ye do? if the intention was only for him to have the ability to do it. How disrespectful for us to think that the life of Christ was wasted on my earning potential. My ability to learn it. My ability to do it. My ability to catch the understanding. That's not a complete God. That's not an I am. That's not a ready in the moment every time. That is not an ever present. That is not, that is not someone who is always there in time of trouble. That's not a rescuer. So we contradict what we say we have when we don't operate in the confidence of what we actually have. I want to challenge you today not to learn how to heal, but to be healing. I want to challenge you today not to learn how to prosper, but to be prosperity. It takes the sting and the power out of what you think could have the ability to rule you when you look at yourself in the eyes of God. When you wake up and you look in that mirror, if you see Jesus, your day is different. We get up here and say, nothing can hold him. We sing songs that say, he is just all, he is everything. But then we say, I am nothing. It was an old song, I'm just a nobody. 
trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. What? What? I'm not a nobody. I'm walking salvation. I am there to save anybody. I am. I am. How is that possible? Because Jesus, Yeshua, lives in me. Paul said it this way. Not I, but Christ that liveth in me. In other words, I am just a carrier. I've got salvation in me. That means in any circumstance I go to, that means when I go to that job, it's going to be blessed. That means if there was trouble on that highway, if I get into my car and I get on that highway, that trouble got to go. That means that I'm pandemic proof. When I come in that environment, guess what? It changes. Sickness is not allowed to be where I am. Because salvation, the light of God, shines in me at such a bright capacity that all darkness has to shrivel up and get away from here. When will you find me sick? When I think on who I used to be and not I am. Man, pastor, that's a hard saying, bro. You really, you really saying something, but it sounds good, but I ain't convinced. Listen, I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to let you go. And we're going to continue this conversation. There's not a place in the Bible that you'll find Jesus not being the I am. As I mentioned to you previously, the only place that you will see him in a light that is not empowered he decided that's his most powerful moment because he decided he made a choice to be a sacrifice and he despising the shame of the cross looked to you and I in the future and said it's worth it it's worth it when Jesus sat on that cross he did not have in his mind that anybody should die from cancer. When Jesus sat on that cross, he did not have in his mind that you should have a common cold. He did not have in his mind that you should have any issues, conditions, anything. Because the Bible says that by his stripes, we are healed. Why would he take lashes if he had an expectation that you would have to still deal with the sickness. In any court of law, it's double jeopardy for you to try somebody twice. Jesus went on trial for us and took a punishment that we couldn't take. How crazy is it for us to carry the same punishment in this life? The Bible says that Jesus became poverty. 
so that we could be rich. How damaging is it for me to accept the reality that's already been paid for through salvation? Today, I want you to challenge your mind. I want you to do what, what the Bible says when it says repent. I want you to pivot. You were thinking this way. I want you to switch and say, no, I'm thinking this way now. Because the things that you're suffering and struggling with is only because of the thought process that you maintain. But if you would only change your thoughts, then you'd realize that the steps have already been ordered for you. I hear you saying, Jesus, I don't know what to do first. I want to introduce you to Mr. Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said he would be a comforter. He would be a teacher. And he would bring you into all truths. He would remind you of everything that I've ever said and done. He would tell you all you need to know about Yeshua. I know there's misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. Somebody told you that you don't have it because you didn't speak. Somebody said, you don't know it because of how much sin you're in. God don't dwell in an unclean temple. You have a problem with certain things, certain vices, and somebody said that he won't dwell with you. But I'm telling you today that that's a lie. The scripture says when we were yet sinners. The thing that I love about Jesus, Yeshua, is that he is never waiting for you to do something that he's already done. All he wants from you is a yes. Can you accept what he's done? Can you apply hope and hold to your salvation with that? Can you imagine that a savior before you were ever born knew that you didn't have the ability to conquer what only he could conquer? So God sending his only son and for sin condemned sin in the flesh this is the salvation that you have and upon that the spirit is applied now are there tongues yes there are tongues yeah it's there mm -hmm. yeah there uh-huh yeah you can do it you can you can do that yeah it's good to do it too. I can teach you all about it. Wonderful. However, what you need to understand is that the Spirit is present when your yes 
and your imagination. What, what do you mean? What are you saying? I'm saying that confession, but it says that your heart has to believe. Then your mouth confess. That's where the two meet. My hope causes me to hope for it. Then faith, which is a gift of God also, kicks in. And it creates a belief in me. Now my confession is made unto salvation. And Mr. Holy Spirit. He's right there. And he's in you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Questions that you may have about salvation, message us. We will answer and do our very best to answer through the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Any questions that you may have, we'll give you all of the scripture reference that you need will provide you any tools or resources that will be helpful to get you there. But while we do all of that, we're not the saver. It is by your belief. Hope that is seen is not hope. So right now, God's wonderful and mighty elevated name of Yeshua, salvation, the name of Jesus. I'm praying for you right now that if you want to receive salvation, real, true salvation, that you lift your hands right there where you are as an act of faith. Lift your hands. And I'm going to pray this with you. And I want you to hear what I'm saying. But I want you to allow the words to come from your heart too. He knows all about your past. He knows about what you did even last night. But as we sang earlier today, he has a reckless love. His love is too big for your small sins to get in His way. There's no action that you could do that could ever push Him away. There's no thing that you could do that could separate you from His love. I want you to accept it right now today. The love of God. Jesus, come into our hearts. Live within us. Let all the truths of your spirit be revealed in us. Break the earning tradition of our minds. Even if we were raised in church to believe that we had to earn it, break the demonic hold and strongholds of earning traditions. Show up. I see.
we cast down all vain imaginations that says that we have to earn or work to be what you have called us to be. We refuse to work for a gift because you freely gave it to us. And in Romans chapter 8, you say, if, if you gave us that with the Son, how much more would you give to us? Thank you, God. We receive from you with the confidence, with the Godfidence of the I am. And when we're confronted by our evil, when we're confronted by the guards that are coming to take us away like they did to Jesus, we will stand up and say, I am just as he did. And it'll, sh it'll shake everything that tries to stand and exalt itself against the knowledge of him. We stand on who we are right now and we, dis we, we claim all that is you. We haven't even scratched the surface of the fullness of who you are, but we claim every bit of it. Reveal yourself to us and in us. Help us to see. Let us not accept the mindset of the past, the sickness of the past, the hurt, the pain of the past, broken relationships of the past the dysfunction of our minds we repent change courses accept the solid mind that you have given us the soundness of heart we stand against all fear and we are not afraid for no enemy can stand against us all the days of our life because we are who you say we are. We know persecution comes along with this thing. Jesus was persecuted for the same thing. Because true confidence will call, cause them to say that you're blaspheming. But we're going to walk in it. We're going to stand in it. We're going to stand against the pandemic. We're going to impact the areas that the pandemic is. And we're going to make the pandemic run from us. We refuse to run from it. We're going to make poverty run from us. We refuse to run from it. We're going to make depression run from us. We refuse to run from it. Because in my weakness, you are made strong in me. Hallelujah. Your grace is sufficient. Your overwhelming love is sufficient. It is more than enough. Hallelujah. No plague shall come nigh my dwelling place. Somebody ought to declare that right now sickness has attacked your home you need to declare right now Psalms 91 no plague will come nigh my dwelling no enemy has permission 
to step foot in any place that I dwell or call home. Your very presence should cause demons to tremble when you come into the atmosphere. Don't be surprised if you come into a space and people start acting out. It's not them. It's the demons crying out because they believe that you've come to torture them. Walk in the authority of salvation. Walk in the power of salvation. If you have and understand that you have and possess the Spirit of God, there is no reason for you to allow anything to trump what you have. If it is present in your life, it is not an agent of the kingdom. God did not place it there. Change your thinking. You might be presented with it. But God never presents you with something that he doesn't plan for you to have dominion over. There is not a God-created storm. God commands storms. You have the ability to do that. There's not a flu season in Christ. There's not a tornado season. There's not a, a hurricane season. These are man-made words. Shift our thinking. In Jesus' name. Father, give us the confidence to never accept less than you. Give us the confidence to never accept less than you. In Jesus' name, we're going to pray these things. I just feel, I feel a strength. I feel an empowerment. Hmm. I hope you've received from that empowerment today. I feel an equipping happening. Giving you weaponry so that when you go back into that same situation, you're not just going in alone, but you're going in equipped The only permission that you ever needed needed to come from God, not from men. But if you need that right now, I send you in the name of God, but you need to receive it from a heart posture or facing. I sent you. Any situation that you are facing right now in Jesus' name. And Father, we're gonna give your name the glory, honor, and praise for all of these things. We're going to let your name be glorified forevermore in the earth because your presence in us. And we believe 
all of these things in the wonderful matchless name of Yeshua Hamashiach or Jesus so we pray in Jesus name Amen Thank you so much for joining us today. If your life's been altered in any way, changed in any way, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Thank you for following us and stick with us again next week. We'll be back again. God bless you. And you are deceived.